good to see you all today. Happy Easter. I am Roger Sadsad. I am your new senior pastor. So today we're beginning a nine-week sermon series called Breakthrough. It is a series on the kingdom of God, primarily using the gospel of Mark. And today's message is Breakthrough of the Future. So as you get to know me, you'll learn that uh, I like to begin, often begin my messages uh, with a confession. I like to do the best that I can to deconstruct the notion that us pastors have it all together. We don't. Uh, That we've got it all figured out. We don't. Or that somehow we are uh, more perfect or more holier than you. We are not. So a couple things to confess. Um, First, um, you may have noticed something on my arm. Uh, This is a tattoo. Yes, your new senior pastor has a tattoo. So it was towards the end of uh, one of my interviews with the nomination vetting team, and I said, hey guys, uh, I want to show you something. And I pulled up my sleeve, and I said, does this disqualify me to be your next senior pastor? And they hesitated for a couple seconds. And they said, no, but tell us what it is. I said, well, it's... Palm Sunday, the crown of thorns, the crucifixion, and the empty tomb. So as a a Christmas gift, uh, a couple years ago, my sister, who is over here today, uh, Autumn, and her husband, Matt, um, they live up in Grand Forks. They drove down um, for this morning. She wanted to, as a gift, to pay for us to get matching tattoos. Um, She got a cross, the same cross, but with a scripture, and then I got the same cross, but as part of a larger motif uh, that I designed uh, of the gospel message, so that when people ask me about it, I can tell them the gospel, okay? I figured if I was going to get a tattoo, it should be at least something meaningful, right? And what is more meaningful than the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ? Okay, second thing I want to confess. Just get it all out there, right? So this one actually will lead uh, into the point of my message this morning. Throughout most of my teens, into my 20s, and even into my 30s, I'm 49, um, other than my schooling, I've had a pattern of starting things and not finishing them. I get interested in something, I buy a bunch of books about it, uh, get all into it, and after a few months, I give up on it and move on to something else. Anyone else relate to that? Yeah. Or maybe you can relate to your spouse doing that. <laughs> Funny story. Um, I've, I've been into like the whole sim- simplicity movement and minimalism thing and uh, have a lot of books on that. And my wife... <laughs> Right? 
And my wife said, you would simplify your life if you'd stop buying books on how to simplify your life. Right? So, uh, these aren't in chronological order. I was just trying to recall some of the things that I started and, and didn't finish. So, first, um, they're sailing. Right? I actually took, in college, I took a marine navigation course. Because uh, I thought I would love to learn how to sail. Um, I haven't done it yet. But I can uh, triangulate my position using a sextant and a nautical almanac. So if you go sailing and you get lost and your GPS goes down, I'm your man. <laughs> uh, there was computer programming. Back in the 90s, uh, I took C, C++, and Java uh, just for fun. wasn't required. I have done nothing with that. Uh, this is outing me as a nerd. So I tried to teach myself calculus. I got about halfway through the textbook, and then I just moved on to other things. Uh, over the years, I've taken various martial arts. Always been interested in those things. Uh, when I was a kid, my dad took me to all the Bruce Lee movies, and that kind of, you know, got it going. Uh, I took Aikido for a while. That's like Steven Seagal kind of stuff. Uh, I took this thing called Yunwa Ryu, which is uh, mostly Taekwondo with a little bit of Hapkido and some Kung Fu. Um, I took Wing Chun, which is uh, what Bruce Lee studied before he created his own thing called Jeet Kune Do. It's not the song from the 80s called Wang Chun. It's Wing Chun. The highest I ever got was a red belt. Um, my son, he took Yunwa Ryu with me. Little, he was a little guy then. He actually got, I was sick and I missed a belt test. He got a belt ahead of me. So he has a brown belt in Yunwa Ryu. So maybe he can take me. I don't know. <laughs> I took Tai Chi for a few months. Tai Chi, you know, it was mostly me with a bunch of people in their 60s and 70s, you know, going, you know, that kind of thing. In terms of exercise, I don't know if you have this up here, but down in uh, Kansas City, where I came from, we have these things called nine-round boxing. Um, did that for about nine months. I tried P90X for about six months, um, and then I just dropped out. Anyone else a P90X dropout? Oh, yeah, there's a few of you. Yeah, that stuff's hard. Uh, I was a vegetarian for a year. Literally, right? Well, I, that was before Kansas City. <laughs> yeah, I was a vegetarian for a year. I weighed myself at the end of that year. I did not lose one pound. I was like, forget this. <laughs> uh, then I was, I did Atkins for two years. So like no meat, now all meat, right? <laughs> Lots of things I started and didn't finish. So about six years ago, Really, that all changed, and really it was the grace of the Lord. Total answer to prayer that I'm sure I'll share at some point. But now I'm almost obsessive about completing what I start, whether it's exercise or spiritual disciplines or personal goals or work goals. It's just God's grace that something in me switched, and now I'm like super committed to finishing whatever it is I start. So most of us have things we've started and unfinished in life. I'm sure you can relate. There's the half-mown lawn, the half-read book, the letter you started and you didn't finish, 
The diet you gave up on, the degree you never finished, the phone calls that never got returned, the to-do lists that never got done. All of us have unfinished things cluttering up our lives. And those unfinished things can be more serious, right? Like the abandoned child, the wrecked marriage, the bills that never got paid, the promises that were never kept. All of us go through life leaving behind a trail of unfinished projects and unfulfilled dreams. There aren't many of us who can come to the end of our life and say, I finished exactly what I set out to do. There's only one person in all of history who never left behind any unfinished business, and his name is Jesus. He is the only person who could come to the end of his life and say with absolute certainty, I have finished everything I set out to do. Hanging on the cross, having been tortured and writhing in agony, he breathed out one final sentence before he died. He said, it is finished. Essentially saying, I successfully completed the work that I came here to do. It was the Savior's final cry of victory. But what was the work that Jesus completed on the cross? What did he accomplish through his death and his resurrection? That is the topic that we'll be covering today. So let's begin by exploring one of the things that Jesus accomplished on the cross. It's a term that theology nerds like me like to use, substitutionary atonement. Let me explain. So we're all familiar with substitutes, right? Teachers substitute for other teachers who are ill. Athletes substitute for other athletes who are injured. A substitute is one who takes the place of another. So scripture tells us that there is a horrible death sentence hanging over the head of every single human being. Substitutionary atonement means that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died in our place as our substitute so that that death sentence could be nullified. The Bible says that we are all in sin and that we all deserve death. Romans 3.23 says... For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So even the nicest person that you know, they have sinned and fallen short of God's perfect holy standard, right? Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6.23 teaches us two things. First, it tells us that without Christ's substitutionary atonement, there is no doubt that we are doomed. In the Bible, death refers to separation. When a body dies, the soul separates from the body. This is the physical death that we all experience, assuming Jesus doesn't come back sometime during our lifetime. When a person dies without Jesus, though, their soul is separated from God, which is spiritual death. Spiritual death will result in an eternity in hell 
from which there is no escape. The second lesson we learn in this verse is that eternal life is available through Jesus Christ to those who believe, to those who put their faith in him and trust in him, to those who accept him as their Lord and their Savior. So here is how the substitute works. Jesus Christ is part of the triune God and is therefore an infinite being. We, however, are finite created beings. Since the sins we commit are against an infinite being, God, the punishment, unfortunately, must also be infinite. Now, there are two ways for this punishment to be carried out. Either an infinite being must die once to pay for sins, i.e. the cross, or finite beings must pay for their sins infinitely, hell. With a sacrificial love that we cannot even comprehend, Jesus offered himself up and died in our place when he was crucified on that cross. This was an infinite being making a one-time payment for sins that satisfied God's holy requirement. When that happened, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 1 Peter 3.18 also says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. The Old Testament also has prophecies that talk about this substitutionary atonement and about the Messiah who would one day come and die to bring us peace. Isaiah 53, 5 says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. So as you get to know me, you will quickly discover that I'm passionate about grace. Experiencing God's grace, his unmerited favor, extending God's grace to others, working to create a community of grace, loving on people right where they're at, warts and all, and then coming alongside them, helping them take their next steps towards Jesus. The best example of God's grace, though, is Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. This is the gospel of grace that Jesus saved us through his death on the cross. We can't appreciate the gospel of grace, though, without some understanding of what it is that we are saved from. We cannot appreciate the gospel of grace until we have some understanding of the concept of hell. If we have to pay the price for our own sin, we can only do that by being punished for an eternity in hell. The good news, though, is that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the price for our sins. All of us, 
you, me, everyone listening to this message, all of us, whether we want to admit it or not, are rascals. None of us deserve his grace. Because Jesus did this for us, we can now not only have all of our sins forgiven, past, present, and future, but we can experience new life that begins now, a new life that will then extend on into eternity. So several years ago, I was, I was having my quiet time in the morning. I was praying and, and something interesting happened. For a few minutes, I had almost a perfect recollection of all the times I had screwed up in my life and all the times that God's grace was there for me in spite of it. It was like God kept saying, do you remember when you did this bad thing? My grace and my blessing and my protection and my forgiveness was there for you in this way. Do you remember when you did this bad thing? My grace and my blessing and my protection and my forgiveness was for you in that way. And on and on and on it went for several minutes. It was like a fast download of reminders of God's grace. And I just sat there. I was just overwhelmed in tears as I had this sudden realization that God had been there all along. I absolutely did nothing to deserve God's grace. And actually, if I am really honest, if I am really self-aware, I see the seed for every evil in the world in my own heart. You put me in the right situation or the wrong situation, or you raise me in the wrong family, you set up just the right conditions. And if I'm honest with myself, apart from God's grace, I'm capable of probably every evil that is in the world. Even Paul said in Romans 7, 24, he said, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? The Russian author Alexander Zolzhenitsyn once wrote this. He said, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart. The holiest people I've known, the most mature Christians I've ever met, they were not those who eventually stopped sinning. They were those who finally had an honest, sober assessment of who they were without Christ. And they realized they couldn't go a day, not an hour, not a minute without his presence, without his provision, without his protection. They are not the people who have become like the Pharisee in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. That's in Luke 18, if you want to look it up. 
who prayed, I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. But they are like the tax collector who prayed, oh, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. They are people who have come to the end of themselves. They have come to, they have fallen at the foot of the cross, and they are living in absolute dependence on Jesus. In order to be saved, we must put our faith in what Jesus did on the cross. We absolutely cannot save ourselves. We need a substitute to take our place. The death of Jesus on the cross was that substitutionary atonement. Now, I want to, I want to pause here because I am positive not every person listening to this message has given their life to Jesus Christ. I want to give you an opportunity to make what will be the most important decision you will ever make in your whole life. There is nothing more important in this whole world than this. If you have not yet made a commitment to follow Jesus Christ, you can do that right now. Or perhaps you have drifted away from the Lord and you sense him drawing you back. And you are ready to draw that line in the sand and you want to recommit your life to Jesus. I want to lead us in a prayer. If you believe that Jesus died and rose again, if you want to accept him as the Lord of your life, or you want to recommit your life to him, you can pray silently along with me this prayer. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for making me and loving me even when I have ignored you and gone my own way. I need you in my life. I'm sorry for my sins. I ask you to forgive me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Help me to understand it more. Lord, as much as I know how, I want to follow you from this day forward. Please come into my life and make me a new person inside. I accept your gift of salvation. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me grow and fulfill your calling in my life. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want to welcome you home. I also would encourage you to text NEXT to the number, they're supposed to put a number on the screen, uh, to let us know that you've accepted Christ or you've recommitted your life to Christ or uh, you can tell one of us pastors after the service and we'll be happy to help you take your next steps. So besides substitutionary atonement, another aspect of the cross uh, that I want to talk about today is its foolishness. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, he says, the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
Who would have thought up the foolish idea of God taking on human flesh in order to die a horrific death on behalf of sinners who had deliberately defied him? Or God making sinners pure by himself becoming sin for them? Or God raising up people to a newness of life by himself submitting to death? Or God declaring the believer to be righteous, not because of anything that they have done, but on the basis of his righteousness. The logic of the cross is both strange and it's wonderful. The person who is really unrighteous, really mired in their own sin, is actually declared by God to be pure and to be righteous. This is incomprehensible to our human logic. But it makes perfect sense in light of the logic of the cross. And what of this idea? That God came down and he loved the unlovely and the unrighteous before the object of his love had any inclination to love him or to do anything good. As Humans, it's our nature to assume that God is like us and that he responds like us to those who are attractive or good or somehow earn his favor. But the cross shows us that God is not like that at all. God requires no prior loveliness in the objects of his love. Rather, it is his love that actually creates the loveliness in the objects of his love without any preconditions. Our value, our beauty, our worth is so far above what we would estimate it is. And it's because he loves us. This is the tender and the beautiful God that we encounter in the ugly and the violent nature of the cross. And the key to the cross is faith. It's foundational to our understanding of the cross. To the cross, or to the unbeliever, the cross is utter nonsense. It is the crushing, filthy death of a man cursed by God. That's how the unbelieving mind interprets the cross. Foolishness to the Greeks and an offense to the Jews. Depending on whether our sin is intellectual arrogance or moral self-righteousness. To the eyes opened by faith, though the cross is seen for what it is. The cross, too, has implications for how we are to treat one another. If we are united in faith with Christ, who is both great king and high priest, then we are also king and priest. But as kings and priests, we're not to lord our power or our authority over others. Our kingship and our priesthood is to be worked out in the way that we are in Christ, through suffering through self-sacrifice as we serve others. The believer is king of everything, 
by being servant of everyone. The believer is completely free by being subject to all. Jesus demonstrated his kingship and his power through death on the cross. So we're to do the same as we die to our own selfishness and we give of ourselves to others. This gives us absolutely a whole new understanding of authority. If we are in authority, we are not to throw our weight around or use our position or our wealth or our authority to enforce our own opinions. Instead, we are to devote our life to painful, inconvenient, and sometimes humiliating service to others. That is how we demonstrate Christ-like authority. So on a side note, this may be shocking, um, I've had people ask me what they should call me. Now I'm just speaking for me. The other pastors can speak for themselves. I've been in ministry for 18 years now. And in the spirit of, again, deconstructing the notion that I am somehow better than others, I have always asked people to just call me Roger. Uh, you don't have to call me Pastor Roger. Now, some people just can't get used to that. And that's okay. If you want to call me Pastor Roger, you can. But Roger will do just fine. And actually, my closest friends uh, usually call me Sod Sod. Or some derivation thereof. Like double sod. Uh, sod squared. I'll answer to all of them. Okay? Okay. I know that's like countercultural, but um, I want this community of grace to be a place where there, are no, there is no hierarchy. And we're just brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. And we can love one another Amen. and be our true selves with one another. Okay? That's the heart behind that. All right, back to the cross. The cross also gives us a picture of the nature of the relationship between blessing and suffering. There are a lot of people who believe that there is a direct connection between following Jesus and being blessed. There is a direct connection, but it's often not what we think it is. So here in the West, where we're more affluent, we tend to think of blessings in terms of materialism our finances, our career, getting more stuff, bigger house, nicer car, so on. Certainly we would tend to think of blessing as the absence of pain and suffering. We would think we were blessed if bad things didn't happen to us. We definitely would not feel blessed if evil was upon us. But what we learn in the, in the cross is a logic that makes no sense to us. Evil is not removed from the world, but it is subverted to the cause of the accomplishment of God's will. 
If the cross of Christ, which admittedly is one of the most, probably the most evil act in all of human history, if the cross can be in line with God's will, then that same cross become the source of the defeat of the very evil that caused it. Then any other evil in the whole world can also be subverted for the cause of good. Have you ever been in pain and suffering and tormented and you're just wanting the Lord to just take it away? You pray, Lord, take it away, take, take it away, take it away. And he doesn't, or at least not yet. This is what I'm talking about. If the death of Christ is somehow mysteriously a blessing, then any evil that we as followers of Jesus experience can be a blessing too. But it may be a different kind of blessing. One lesson we learned from the cross is that the most blessed person on the earth, Jesus Christ himself, was blessed precisely in his suffering and his death. And if that's the way God deals with his own beloved son, do we as followers of Jesus Christ have any right to expect anything different? When we understand that the death of Jesus, the greatest crime in all of human history, was itself willed in some deep and mysterious way by God we have some understanding of how the cross turns suffering into blessing. Romans 8, 28, most of you know this one, says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28 is true because of the cross. If God can take the greatest of all evils and turn it to the greatest of all goods, then how much more can he take the lesser evils throughout human history and turn them to his good purpose as well? So the cross shows us God atoning for our sin. The cross is a profound revelation of who God is, how he acts towards his creation, and how we are to act towards one another. The cross, too, is a place where God turns our suffering into blessing where he works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. The cross too and the resurrection are also the point in, in history when hope itself in the person of Jesus Christ surprised the whole world by coming from the future and breaking into the present. Where the power of the future age of the kingdom of God, or as Matthew's gospel calls it, the kingdom of heaven, broke through from the future into the present and set up a whole new dimension. The kingdom of God was and is breaking into this present reality. Jesus literally taught us to pray for that future reality to break into the present. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is literally what the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, and the gift of the Holy Spirit are all about. We are saved. We are called. We are given authority. 
and we are empowered to be agents of transformation on this earth, anticipating the day according to Habakkuk 2.14, when it says the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And the point of the Gospels and the book of Acts is that Jesus defeated the powers of darkness at the cross and broke into the present with the future reality of the kingdom of God. And we are called to be those agents of transformation, bringing the future reality of God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, into this world. Through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, the kingdom of God broke into this world. It is here, but it is not fully here and won't be fully here until he comes again. So I don't have time to unpack all that. That's like the teaser for next week. I want to encourage you to come back for next week. Next week's message is Breakthrough of the Kingdom, where I will begin to unpack what it looks like to be, to live as an agent of transformation, where we bring the future reality of God's kingdom into the present. The good news is that we can enter into this kingdom and experience the life of the age to come. The bad news is that it won't come without a battle. I'll be talking next week about how the church is God's army to advance God's kingdom, bringing the rule and the reign of God onto this earth. You won't want to miss it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your sacrifice on the cross. Thank you that you were pierced for our transgressions, you were crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on you and by your wounds we are healed. Thank you that through the cross you showed us sacrificial love. You showed us what true authority looks like. And thank you that in your life, death, and resurrection you ushered in the future reality of the kingdom of God. Where, Lord, you reign supreme and are sovereign over all creation. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to continue to worship through singing one last song. Uh, prayer teams, if you would come up, uh, you can do that now. Um, one of the things you'll learn about me is uh, I'm really passionate about prayer. Um, not just like going home and praying for people, but I mean like praying for people on the spot. Like you see somebody in a grocery store and they're like telling you something that's going down in their life and you're like, can I pray for you? And they're like, yeah, expecting that you'll, you'll just go home and pray and then you like do it right there in the middle of the grocery store. So uh, if at any point now or during this last song, um, I would invite you to come forward and get prayer. That means uh, unless you're on the end of the aisle, you're gonna have to ask people to like move, to get out of your way so that you can get out and come up here. Um, and then, you know, maybe, maybe you need hope right now or healing or financial blessing or job or whatever. 
Um, if you have recently accepted Christ or recommitted your life to Christ, definitely come forward because we want to pray for you. All right, but let's continue to worship.